If you've enjoyed listening to Travel and Shit, consider becoming a patron. As a supporter at the $3.99 a month tier, you get access to episodes ad-free and one week early. At $5.99 a month, you're at the family tier. At this tier, you get ad-free and early access, same as in the supported tier, but you also get a free travel and shit tea after six months of support, 50% off digital products and downloads, and 20% off merch. You also get a free digital bundle that includes the mindfulness workbook, solo travel planning course, packing lists, past itineraries, suggested travel gear, and more. The podcast will still be free. You don't have to pay to listen. But if you want to hear the episodes as soon as they're released, and if you want to show me and the show some love, please consider becoming a patron. For more information, go to travelandshitpodcast.com slash subscribe. I made it around the world And came back with stories to tell Different places to call home Now I'm never on my own Dietations to my people hitting foreign nations Food, traveling, shit, moving to live Life in the sky, stories to give The ones who make it there and can make it back Salutations and shit, folks. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of your favorite travel podcast, Travel and Shit, where I, your host, D. Carrie, have an experiential conversation about the nuanced ways that travel intersects with regular life. Welcome to either a new episode or to another episode, whether you've been here for a long time or for a new time, I'm happy to have you here with me. This week, I'm going to be going on a trip down memory lane, if you will, but a little bit differently than I've done in past years. This is the time, this is the season for year-end reviews, year wrap-ups. We all love the good Spotify, um, you know, the list they do, uh, your Spotify wrapped and all that jazz. So consider this your travel and shit luggage package. I don't know what the fuck to call it. However, it's basically a review of traveling shit throughout the year. Um, throughout the four years that I've been doing the podcast, I have had incredible, incredible guests. I've been very fortunate to have, um, you know, I'm biased obviously, but I'm very, very fortunate to have had some incredible people to, um, share this space with me and share our love of travel and our love of growth and personal experience through travel. And before I uh, jump into, you know, a couple of episodes that were stand out to me, um, I enjoyed them all. So this was like hard to do. And I kind of debated it for a little bit because I wasn't sure if I wanted to um, highlight any episodes for fear that it would possibly like leave others out. But if nothing else, hopefully you'll be inspired by the, um, guests that I did highlight in this episode and be intrigued as to, well, damn, who else is there? Because there are so many incredible guests and this year in particular was no, um, no disappointment. So first I just want to say thank you to all of my guests. Um, I'll acknowledge them individually in a moment, but I really, 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 really would love if you guys would go to travelandshippodcast.com 
and go to this episode, which I want to say is episode, what, 218, I believe. Um, I would love if you could go to the episode's show notes, if you will, or even in the just the description of whatever platform you're listening to. I'm trying to see. I don't know that I'll have enough space in the description box. So just go to travelshippodcast.com. I'll put the link to the episode. Have a, I'll do that. I'll put the link to this episode to, I'll put a link to, well, yes, it's the link to this episode, but it's specifically to the show notes of this episode. So that makes sense. This way you'll have an easy point of reference to be able to check out all the guests. I'll have everyone's um, websites and a link to their episode that they uh, so graciously provided their time and energy with um, so that you can get a feel for, you can get one, the full episode of the ones that I'm going to highlight today. And then two, check out the other guests that I've had. Once you hear from the guests that I have included in this episode, I'm hoping that you'll be inspired to find out who all else is over there and see what other incredible guests I've been so blessed and so fortunate to um, break bread and chop shit with on the podcast. So um, to begin, without further ado, I'd like to thank the guests of 2022. So thank you to Whitney and Tamika, Lola, Nate, Dr. Bruno and Dr. Murphy, Aquia, Keem, Joe, Dominique, Jen, Corey, Ken, Franny, and Tehran. So those were the two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 15 guests that I had this year. Each one of them near and dear to my heart. I appreciate them all, um, not just for sharing their stories, but for sharing with their time. Um, for those of us at these bigly adult ages that I am assuming that most of my listeners are, we all value and understand the value in time. So I truly appreciate them um, taking some time in their busy schedules to share in their love and experience of travel with me for you guys. So that's one. And I just wanted to let you guys know that this was quite difficult to put together, not just in choosing which episodes to highlight, but in also trying to choose what segment or what um, piece of the conversation to include. I value all of the time and the conversations that we've had, but I kind of had a really nice time in hindsight going back and taking a second to appreciate where we've been over the year, because we spend a lot of time planning, especially when it comes to travel, right? We spend so much time planning for travel and making, um, uh, plans and accommodations, um, navigating new territories. And while all of that is exciting, healthy, fun, and important to furthering the work of self development and fulfillment, I think it's also as important to reflect on where you've been, right? This way you can figure out where you need more work, what has been successful, what, um, what practices and what modalities have been most impactful and the most, I'm trying to find the right way to, to phrase it, um, causing you to stretch the most, which 
experiences, which conversations, which moments have we spent enough or not spent enough time sorting through, going over, reflecting on, and making sure that we're getting the lesson that we can from it, right? Because a lot of times something will happen, you'll have a conversation with somebody, or you'll watch a movie, you'll read a book or whatever, and then something will happen down the line or in the future, and you'll be like, where, where, what is this from? Where is this? Why is this ringing a bell? Or damn, somebody said some shit like this before. Or you know what? Shorty did mention this. Now it all makes sense. And I feel that if we spend time reviewing, reflecting, it'll be a lot easier for us to pull in those little pieces that come together to make a big picture. So I'm hoping that you'll enjoy this episode. It's a little different than I've done in the past. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, talk about stuff that I've said or that I've heard or that we've shared in the past because if you've been here for a while, y'all know good and well, I can go down a motherfucking rabbit hole. So one of the things in my personal life that I'll do is, especially if it is something that I can easily refer to, I love telling, like, <laughs> and I love this about myself. I'll start telling boyfriend a story or I'll start trying to, um, what's the word? Like re, um, repeat or I'll start telling him some shit about something that I've seen or read or watched. And I'll realize in me trying to find the right words and make sure that I'm getting the details right. You know, it would be a lot faster if you would either just read to him what you read or just showed him the video. It's going to take me longer to explain it to you than it would take for me to just find it and share it with you. So that's what we're going to do this year. I'm go- I've gone back, I've watched old episodes, which I don't know if you guys have ever listened or watched videos of your own that you've done. It's a labor of love. Um, for me and my attention span, this was because I love what I do. And it was quite fulfilling to revisit some of these incredible conversations and to be able to share them with you. So this week, Please enjoy a trip down memory lane of some of the really, really, really impactful and um, insightful moments that I've had with uh, some of my guests over the past year. So this episode, I'm going to go back to, I wrote them down, highlight. This, um, yeah, this is the easiest way to do it. All right, so this episode, I love all 15 of y'all. However, this isn't like, I don't want to do like a five hour episode. So I'm only going to do a piece from five different episodes. And the five that I chose was episode 176, stage plays and TV screens with Nate. 190, connected to culture, embracing the the diaspora with Aquiate. 197, solo travel like a boss featuring the passport abuser. Two thousand uh, eight episode two that two that why do I keep saying two thousand eight because I'm thinking of the year two thousand eight episode two hundred and eight uh I didn't write the full episode out Detroit's own that one was no we're not gonna update this old computer 
2000, no, 2000, why is it that I keep saying 2008? 208, episode 208, Detroit's own Corner Boy Cafe with Chef Corey. And episode 2010, Folklore and Storytelling with Ken of By the Fire Podcast. So this episode is going to highlight a piece of those five episodes so that you can be reminded of all the wildly incredible conversations that we have had this year. Feel free to revisit these episodes. Feel free to check back and listen to some of your favorite episodes. And like I said earlier, I'm going to have the link to all of the episodes that I've had with guests as, as well as a link to their social, the link to, um, the episode that they've done all on travel and podcast.com. Um, and this will be, uh, episode 218. So that is the show note that you want to go to so that you can get quick access to anybody in particular that I have referenced in this episode in particular, as well as all of the other guests that I have had for this year. So I hope you guys have enjoyed thus far and I am absolutely looking forward to bringing you even more incredible, talented, world-traveled, life-experienced, and even untraveled because I got an angle that I want to go with that one too. So many ideas up here. But I'm hoping that, you'll in, that you have enjoyed the ride thus far and that you're strapped in for even more. So sit back, relax, listen along, and enjoy some of the really, really incredible moments we've had throughout the year. So you mentioned as a kid that you've lived in a lot of different places and that shaped your personality to be as big, bold, and beautiful as it is. Would mm-hmm. you say, or how would you say your, that view, right? Especially pertain to or did it separate? Because I'm thinking when I thought of when I think of travel, right, in my head as a kid, I know I only thought of vacations. I didn't necessarily correlate travel with like a lifestyle or just experiences and just doing the same things you do at home, but just someplace else, like uh, connecting differently with different areas. As a kid, since you moved to a lot of different places, what do you think or what is your experience of what you felt travel was? And how has that kind of played a role in how you receive different types of characters or how you may deliver different characters or how you may portray different characters? That's such a great question. That is such a great question because (coughs) traveling early in life, and this is why I want my kids to be able to do this. Now, I'm not going to lie. It had its cons because I always had to make new friends. And like my sense of stability, even in adulthood, has always been in flight. Yeah. I've, I've had to really work on grounding myself and feeling at home within my own being because I've never had that house as a childhood house where I grew up in. It was a bunch of different houses. You see what I'm saying? So I had to develop very early my sense of self and security and stability in myself. But it helped me as an artist because I was able to be whoever I wanted every time I moved. Every time I went somewhere else, I could be somebody totally different. And then it also helped because it allowed me to see that like, wow, my little world in this little neighborhood 
in this little city with this accent or culture or the way that they do things here is so different. And that's how they do it there. You know, and it, it, it honestly made me have like this like sense of judgment where in certain instances, I didn't judge at all. Oh. But then there were other instances where I was, I was so over judgy because of where I just came from. You know what I mean? So like even moving from, from New York to LA, that's the first thing people ask me. Cause I've lived in on both coasts and both of the biggest, most popular cities in the world. People are like, which one did you like better? And I'm like, they don't compare. <laughs> like they both have their own New Yorkers and my LA natives, I love them equally, but for different reasons. Yeah, I can. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Like a New York girl and an LA girl has, has a lot in common, but they very different. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's, it's honestly like really helped to ground me for one, but it's also helped me to see different cultures and like see the different accents I think that's the that's the thing for me because ultimately like I feel like I still have my natural accent but the cultures the accents like what's important to the people in that area so when I'm playing a character and they say it's based in this place I've lived there mm -hmm. so I, I have friends like real friends that I can go to and be like yo do, like can you ask your mom about yeah. How was this when she was, and I can get an authentic answer, not no research-based Google, right. like, nah, I know what that true accent of somebody who's from Brooklyn versus somebody who's from Harlem, like, mm -hmm. like, I know the difference. I know what's important to them. I know what, I know the difference between somebody who's like from Watts versus somebody who's from Inglewood. Okay. Like it's different, like, you know, versus somebody who's from the Valley. Like, I didn't even know what a Valley girl accent was at first. I just thought, oh, that's like this, like very like, like white girl, like, no, that's very Valley white girl. And it's very like ditzy and it's very like, yeah, like my dad, like, is like the CEO of like, yeah. So like, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, but that, but right. you, but you have to be there. You have to, that's the, that's what makes travel so like such a huge part of like, not necessarily vacationing because even when I travel, like, and maybe that's also something that I had to learn how to do. Right. I had to learn how to vacation when I travel. Yeah. Because I traveled okay. so much growing up that I, I want to go to the hood almost when I go travel. Like I, I want to go eat at the mom and pop spots. Mm -hmm. I don't want to stay at the resort. I want to, I want to go to the little farmer's market where, where Abuela and Nana go. Yep. That's, I'm trying to be in the mix with the people because when I was traveling growing up, that's what we did. Right. We were with the people. So I had to learn how to vacation. I had to learn how to be like, you know what? I'm going to actually like rest on this trip. I'm actually not going to educate myself this trip. Maybe, maybe I'll come back next time. Once I see how beautiful it is, I'll come back next time with yeah. people. And then that'll be an educational trip. Okay. 
or maybe I'll allot one day mm-hmm. to really focus on education and just relax. You know what I'm saying? So I think yeah. it just depends. But yeah, that what travel has definitely helped and hindered <laughs> when it's come to like my artistry, like even my personality and how it shifted. But it's but it it ultimately has like aided to my growth. Okay. Both both you know personally and as an artist. I can see it giving you the ability to really tap into being that you said that you could be whoever you wanted to be when you went someplace new that also allows you to more easily be whoever that character needs to be as opposed to trying to play someone that's totally different from who you are and it coming off as you acting you've already gotten used to being able to kind of you know, read what's important about people really quickly because you've had to adapt to a lot of new people much more faster, much more faster, much more quickly than someone that who has possibly stayed in the same location all their life. Yeah. You have the same people. You don't really have to adapt to new people. You have the same squad that comes with you and not taints, but kind of colors the lens with which you see the world when you've got the same people around you all the time. So I would be able to, I would think that it is allowing you to really play someone that's not you and still be believable as opposed to and you know forced and like you're you're so right about that but but also what it's done because i've it forces me to be authentic to who i am because i feel like sometimes people who stay in one place right whether one city or one state whatever their whole life you're only like you said susceptible to certain things so you just think that certain ways that you are are a part of your personality and you'll you'll grow to realize that that's not actually who you are it's actually like who you put yourself in a box to be because of your geographic and where you are because you live in this area because y'all y'all have four seasons and it snows you believe in cuffing season so you force yourself to get in a relationship every year or force yourself to find a partner to but somebody in LA or somebody in Arizona we they don't have that so they don't so their idea of a relationship or commitment is, you see what I'm saying? Yep. So ultimately, yep. yes, I, I, I use it for my work in a sense of like developing these characters, but ultimately I'm developing my character because I realized that like, I'm human, mm-hmm. I'm human. And like who I am can change depending yeah. on where I am in my life, my age, what I've experienced, where I am, who I, who am I, who I'm around, you know what I'm saying? And ultimately my work as an artist, as an actress has really allowed me to be gentle with myself and what that looks like. I like that. I like that. Being in so many different places sounds like it's forced you to really get a hold of who you are so that you can hold on to that no matter where you are. Yes. And, and have compassion for things that I may not, that, that I may not understand or agree with because like that, that's not my circumstance. So it's easy for me to say, Oh, I'm, I'm nothing like that person. Yeah. I'm not and and judge them based on where I am. But unless I've been there, unless I'm them in that situation, I can't say. But traveling and, and being an artist while doing that, especially an actress, it allows me to see like different characters and be like, damn, if this was me and I was 
in this situation and I was her, knowing her background, knowing what she's been through, how would I, like, how would this affect me? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I do. I can see that. Yeah. That was a great question. Thank you. That was a good ass question. I did check out your YouTube page and (laughs) shout out to building a freaking house over there. What now are, do you have dual citizenship there? Yes, I do. Thank okay. you. I appreciate that. Like that wasn't easy. That wasn't easy, honey. <laughs> and that's another question I was very curious about. In terms of dual citizenship, did you have to do that like as an adult or did your mom take care of that for you? So it was <laughs> actually, you know, it was an interesting situation because um, my both my parents are Ghanaian by birth. They were mm-hmm. born there. I had I have access to citizenship. So it wasn't okay. it wasn't a difficult okay. process for me. It, okay. it, it wasn't that hard. OK. And in terms of purchasing and I remember in the video, you had mentioned like your mom had purchased property there. So you were building on that land there. So you gave a couple of really great tips there. But in terms of any um, Americans who may have now, granted, this is Ghana. This isn't necessarily the case for all of them countries. However, mm-hmm. it's a nice little stepping stone so that you've got something in mind to kind of base your your search around. Right. So in terms of and your the link to her YouTube will absolutely be in the description because why not? Right. Um, in terms of deciding to build there and plant roots there like what ultimately is your intention do you intend to move there do you want to be like in both places do you want to I know you have a son do you want to continue to raise your son over there like what are your as a American born woman with parents that aren't from here I know that one, there is potential. I won't speak for your experience of self, but I know that, for, exa- for example, this is the basis of where I'm going with the question, right? Because I know what I'm thinking in my head. So let me feel that. <laughs> All right. So my homeboy, Jason, we had this conversation way back. And I mean, way back, like way back when I was doing um, like couch conversations, like I had a YouTube channel, like way before I did travel and shit. And my homeboy, Jason, his parents are from Guyana. And so his experience of being a first generation kid was while you are not necessarily black American, maybe the world sees you as black. So they did a very, um, I don't want to say particular, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They were I guess not specific, ain't it? Intentional. They were very intentional about bringing that to his awareness. While yes, we are from Guyana and we are raising you like we are from Guyana. We also want you to have that awareness that while that is important to us and while that is very important to you, the world doesn't see that per se. They just see you as a black man and they're going to treat you that way. So here is some history on Black American experience. Here's what happens to Black folk in the States. Like they had that conversation with him. So I'm curious as to your experience um, here in the States and what your thought process may have been in terms of one, maybe raising your son here versus there, whether or not you want to stay here, whether you want to be in both places. Like 
deciding to build a house, period, wherever you do it is a big undertaking, especially being so far away. Like that's a lot to invest in one financially, emotionally, spiritually. Like you got to take them calls, you got to type them emails up and you have to trust that the people there are actually doing what they're saying they're doing with your money and not just your money while you are here that's still your time because you're investing the time there so i'm really curious as to what your experience or what maybe more so your thought process was to lead you to wanting to kind of i don't want to say start that life there but to put that part of your life or invest so much of yourself in that destination as well that's an amazing, amazing, amazing question. Thank and you. it's a lot, a lot. Of, and it has so many layers. I'm feeling the yeah. layers back on it. So many layers. So it was so many factors that went into it. Okay. So the first was um, that, right, I've been living here in the United States all my life. I've grown up here. I kind of was tired of it. You know what I'm saying? I, like, I... Oh, I I, you know, yeah, exactly. Like you, you know, you know, we black women, so we mm-hmm. get it, right? Like, you know, what I'm saying it's just I'm just tired. Like, I was just tired of the grind, tired, and tired of everything, and didn't even know I was tired until I got to Ghana. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the fact was, I got to Ghana, I started feeling better, my skin was glowing, the food I was eating, like everything started to feel better. So I was like, I, and I wasn't even in a rush to go back. So, right, right. That was, so I'm feeling like that's a feeling like I wanted to hold on to. Like once you get that mm-hmm. feeling, once you go somewhere else, you experience something, you feel good and makes you want to hold on to that. So part of it was like, dang, I got it. You know, I, I'm just having a good time. Everything is great here. You know, I'm good. Also, you know, I'm coming from America. So my dollar is, you know, however many cities at the time it is. So like, I'm going over there thinking I'm balling. I'm like, yeah. you know, I'm able to, you know, I'm buying things. So I'm, my experience is a lot different as a, you know, as a tourist. Yeah. So of course I'm going in there. Like I'm thinking, you know, I'm feeling good. My money's along there. I could stay there for a while. So that was my thought process in it. So I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. You know, in terms of my son, and it's, it's very interesting. So my, my son's father is not Ghanaian. He okay. is, you know, he is black, but he um, is, uh, was raised here too as well. And so, you know, he's not familiar with that culture. And so, but, you know, my whole family is Ghanaian. That's my culture. So, you know, I've always, I've debated that. We've talked about it, but, you know, we're not really on the same page with it. And so, you know, as much as I want him to be there, he kind of has to stay here. Okay. And I'm cool with that. I, you know, and I'm cool with that. I just, you know, I want him to have that experience and I want him to feel like that was always home. So that was another reason why I was like, I'm going to, you know, while he can't be here, you know, full time, I want him to know, like, you're not going to, you're not going to get an Airbnb. B&B. You're not going to stay at a hotel. Yep. You're not going to stay at somebody's house. You're going to go to a house that you actually have access to. Like your, it's in your name. It's in your family's name. Like that's home. So that was sort of where I, you know, sort of compensate. Well, maybe I can't take him, you know, now. And especially he's a teenager now. So he's yeah. already done with school. So, you know, in a few years, he can decide whether or not that's where he wants to be. So right. I, I want to give him that option. So I didn't force him to, you know, make that decision to come with me. So because he's about to be of age and about to be an adult, I can live my life. Mama can have a little free time. Mama can do these things. So I'm thinking, you know, when he, once he's made his decision, he's off to college, like I have a new life. Like I have time, I have space. Like I feel like a new rebirth, like, you know, 40 is the new 30, 20. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> whatever it is now. Girl, so like it's tapping me on the shoulders. That is right on my right. Man, I'm telling you, and that and that's also another part of it. You know, I was thinking like I'm getting to this age and like I'm getting to this milestone. Like I need to do something big. And honestly, it comes down when it comes down to it, I can't afford to do nothing here. Like we are on the grind. Yep. They treat us, they do us dirty. We work, work, work. We ain't got no ownership, but nothing here. <laughs> nothing, nothing, not a thing. So, you know, when the opportunity came for ownership there, and the fact was at that time during the year return, like they were giving out land to diasporans, like for, you know, you know, just to come, just to have access to the land. So once I was hearing about these, you know, these opportunities where like land was being given to, you know, Black people who are coming, who want to repatriate, come back to Ghana. Um, I started looking into it. And so the opportunity came to me and it and it just made sense. Right. So it was like, why not? Why not? And so, and, but I'll be honest, like, you know, I'm saying all this good things. I'm saying all the great things like, God, it's great. It, you know, it has investment opportunities. It has this, but at the end of the day, I'm still black. Like I yeah. open my mouth, they don't hear the accent. I'm still a brony. Like, and a brony is like a white man, foreigner. Like mm-hmm. I'm still a foreigner. So at the end of the day, yes, they're welcoming to me because you know I'm you know supporting, but I still have a lot to learn about the culture. Yeah. I still have a okay. lot to you know understand about the culture, and I think that is something that sort of motivates me to go because I'm interested in. I have a vested interest Got in it. it. But for folks who may not be vested in that culture, it may not be the right decision for them. But for me personally, I knew that it's something that was worth it because, right, I might get discouraged by, you know, my own people looking at me like I'm white. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not, you know, a part of them. And, you know, and, you know, Africans in general are proud people. So, you know, they they have pride in their culture. And so you as a foreigner or me as a foreigner, I stick out. I'm still a foreigner, whether my name is a queer man or be a whoever, whoever, I'm still American. So um, I do struggle with that. And I think a lot of people do as they're repatriating there, but I'm like, nah, that's my culture. I'm y'all going to love me. No, you get some of me. I'm here. What's up? Take your time, but you're going to get used to it. Road trips give you the flexibility of taking the most control of your itinerary. No airline delays or cancellations. You can sit in your own germs and move at your own pace. Whether you're looking for family friendly or something romantic, history and heritage, or a foodie's delight, I've got you covered. Choose your trip based on the vibe or the distance you feel like driving. This pack includes DC, Philly, Hartford, Burlington, and Montreal. All destinations are a few hours from New York City, so they're perfect for anyone along the East Coast to tap into. The download also includes a packing list, pre-trip car prep guide, and a playlist of travel and shit road trip content. These itineraries are perfect for travelers who enjoy having a plan with space for spontaneity. Head over to travelandshippodcast.com slash travel resources slash road trip to download your copy and take the stress of planning and packing off the table while you focus on the road. To answer like the first part of the question, mm-hmm. I definitely um, liked the experience of traveling with my girlfriends. Okay. Um, so that that girl's trip scenario uh, was always um, a good idea for me. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I liked doing it. But um, I ended up going on my birthday trip 
uh, with two different friends, not Simone, because we, you know, <laughs> it wasn't Simone. But um, I went, I, I ended up going on a trip with two of my girlfriends. One of my girlfriends, I told her that, you know, I felt like her boyfriend was using her and that, you know, I just wanted to let her know that, you know, even if mm-hmm. she chooses to proceed with the dude at least she could have it in the back of her mind somewhere that he may be you know using her and so um I told her that over dinner um in Amsterdam and um it was the night before my birthday and the next morning I woke up and she left me stranded in the hotel didn't leave me a letter didn't didn't tell me anything when I initially woke up I thought that they um I thought that my two friends were maybe downstairs having breakfast and mm-hmm. that I slept in late. And after I got out the shower and got dressed, I realized like they still wasn't back upstairs from dinner. And I was like, wait, where's their makeup and stuff? Like then I, then it just kind of hit me. And so they didn't even leave me a letter in on the, on the coffee table. Like we're gone. Like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I just had to pretty much figure it out. And so I called them and I said, hey, like, where are y'all? And they was like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't like what you said at dinner. And by the way, um, I told so-and-so that you said something about her daughter. And I was like, wow. So I told you something about your boyfriend that you don't like. And now you're going to lie to our other friend and tell her I was talking about her kids. Like, basically tried to hmm. make the other girl leave me. You get what I'm saying? And so- yeah, yeah. Messy. <laughs> The second girl involved, I said to her, I said, we were in Paris for three days and then we got to Amsterdam. So we've already been together for about a week now. And she's never told you that I said anything about your kids. And now when I tell her something about her man, Mm -hmm. suddenly after she's been with you for seven days, I've said something about her kids. I was like, well, you know, I just feel like if you're if you were down to leave me without even having a conversation like oh yeah. she wants to leave but let's clarify what you say about my kids like let's okay just, like, well let's huddle together real quick before mm-hmm. we part ways what did you say about my children like you you were willing to leave me in a situation where you didn't know if I was going to be robbed raped you're leaving me by myself right. in another country you the day before your birthday the day before my birthday off of what someone said without ever having a conversation with me about it. I said, so we will all never be friends again because nothing mm-hmm. happened to the point where y'all are leaving me for dead on foreign soil. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, that was how I transitioned into solo travel to answer the second question, because <laughs> it was just like my, my friends that didn't have kids, I wasn't friends with them no more. And I was like really depressed because now I've went from, not only having the worst breakup of my life and calling off my wedding, like, you know, 13 days before. Oh my God. Yeah. But also four months later, I've lost two friends in the same day and I didn't do anything. So it was a really, really hard time in my life. And because of that, I didn't really trust women. I didn't want to be around women. So I, Mm -hmm. you know, when you ask like, hey, how did you transition into solo travel? I got my heart broken by women. And I was just like, you know what? Um, I don't want to meet any other friends and make friends because what if I say something to the girl that she don't like? And the next thing you know, it's a fight. Or what if I tell you my honest opinion about something respectfully? And you just leave me in another country. Like, so then I was afraid to trust people. So yeah. it was safer it, mentally, emotionally for me, it was safer to be solo because it, it was less vulnerability. Like, you know, right. I'm not going to let anybody be able to, you know, pump fly on me real fast. Over yeah. 
dumb over a man, you know, so. A no good one at that. Like, so I was just like, okay, let me just uh, do solo. Um, and then for the third question, you said like, do, do I still do group trips and stuff like that? It took like a many years, okay. but now I'm open to like traveling with other women and starting to trust other women. Like, cause I have lots of girlfriends, but as soon as they be like, yeah, like, do y'all all want to go out together? I'm immediately like, no, because I'm like, mm. what if something went wrong and I get left or what, what if something happens? Because you cannot trust these people now. Like, so I have this vulnerability where I don't want people that close to me yeah. because I'm afraid of how they might treat me. So I've just literally allowed myself to start like planning group trips with other girls now my company travel like a boss we do group trips together within the community so it's a group retreat between me and my clients who come to me to learn how to solo travel so it's a bonding experience oh nice so I'm not afraid that they're going to leave because they're here to learn from me directly so Mm -hmm. it it feels safer so I'm just now starting to let my guard down and have healthy uh, relationships with people and not think that that they may hurt me well, first of all, I'm sorry that that's how you came into travel. Like, I never <laughs> wish, like, solo a traumatic, uh-huh. well, yes, a solo travel. I never wish to hear that from or for anyone. Like, it, I, I would never want that possibility for something as beautiful as travel to, you know, get sullied possibly like that by other people. Like, I, I know that I waited for so long to travel because similar to you all of my friends had kids everybody had you know a partner so it's just like so I can kind of go when I want to go you gotta wait on okay you you gotta wait for okay so it was like "Mm." it was really looking like it wasn't going to be for me but instead of letting other people's decisions and what other people had going on get in the way we had that similar experience of I'm gonna figure it out by myself. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna get out here. And I wonder now for you, what was the first country where you felt like, okay, no, I got this. Like, this is, this is my new bag. This is, we're here now. What was that like for you? Um, so that euphoric, amazing experience for me was Paris. Uh, So, you know, most people are so afraid of taking their first solo trip, but I had just gotten left on vacation on my birthday in a whole nother country by two girls. So for me, my perspective, my POV was like, I'm not scared of whatever could go wrong because I don't think anything worse can happen to me at this point. All I got mm-hmm. is me. There's no other plan. This, you know what I mean? If I don't like this experience, I'm going to experiment with my first solo trip. If I don't like this experience, I'll never solo travel again. And I'll just mm-hmm. wait. I make new friends with people who have more flexibility. Okay. Um, so I didn't intend to be a solo traveler. It was just more so like an experiment. And that place was Paris. And Paris had been on my bucket list for so long that I teach women all the time. If you want to take your first solo trip, choose a country that is always at the top of your bucket list. So that way, like that excitement for seeing Bora Bora or okay. Paris, you know, will kind of decrease or like kind of overshadow the anxiety of, oh my God, I'm being alone. I'm, I'm going to be by myself in Paris, you know? Um, so yeah, that country for me was Paris. Paris was country number one. Um, well, it's not a country. France was country number mm-hmm. one. 
and that was the first time you went solo so it was like it the shit kind of clicked real early for you it, it was it clicked right then and there and i was like uh you know the song say he snatched he sold like i was sold girl. okay <laughs> it was there so from those experiences which and not even like because of what the country was more so because of what the experience was for you which trip would you possibly say comes well not even possibly say what comes to mind first in terms of a trip that you learned the most from that you're able to then impart information to other people like where in that 58 solo that where in there did some like do you think you learned the most I think that's a brilliant question. My question, my answer is going to be a little bit more broad mm -hmm. um, because I, I feel like every single country I was, because I was um, having stimulation from all these different, these different things that I've never experienced before, culture, sounds, food, people, languages, uh, religion. So every different country I learned something different about myself. I was able to make peace with a different part of myself. Mm. Maybe one part of myself healed. And it's like all the things that I didn't like, um, I was able to kind of shed them and leave them in Paris. And then the things that I liked about myself that I learned, I took them with me and I went to London from there. And then every different country that I went to, I was able to make peace or let something go, leave it in London. And then from here, we are in Budapest or, or Prague today. And I'm learning something else about myself now that I'm by myself in country number four. And then, mm -hmm. so every, so I can't even say that there was one particular space where um, I would say that I learned the most because I think that I had made peace with myself on the first solo trip that my evolution was going to take a lifetime. And that mm -hmm. even when I took my last breath, I still probably wouldn't be who I thought I could be yet. But that's why I need more than one lifetime. So I would hate to kind of concentrate it and say that I learned a lot more. But I, but I would say um, that in terms of just being able to go deeper and be a little bit more grounded, because that's what what was making me feel good at the time. I was like my personal dopamine dealer. Okay, travel <laughs> was my dopamine. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> But I think one of the most grounding experiences for me uh, was probably going to Nelson Mandela's house and like looking at the bullet holes that mm -hmm. was still, you know, in his house and um, spending time in the Seychelles and just looking over my shoulder before I left the beach saying like, yeah, I'll be back, you know, and I don't know. I have so many different experiences that I was like, wow, I can take from this or the time we were in okay. Sri Lanka and we, we, we took the train to Ella. And, you know, so every I, I can I have different experiences. I, I it's you're so adorable. I love the excitement. Like I okay. like it's poor. It's glowing out of you. And I, I love that for you because the truck was never the plan. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I'm being completely transparent, the, the truck was never the plan. The first corner boy was actually, you know, in a liquor store. So Really? Yeah, yeah. Wait, so you were guy. selling plates at a liquor store? Let me tell you, I was selling plates at a liquor store. Um, I told Please, you, I'm, do tell. I'm Detroit as fuck. I mean, I'm trying to say. <laughs> so, so, no, real, real talk. So I moved, I moved back here. Well, actually, if I'm being completely honest, corner boy actually started in uh, Atlanta. I spent a few years in Atlanta and they have a huge problem down there with like recidivism, right? So you get mm -hmm. out of jail and then you go right back type thing. 
but then they also have a uh, a problem with like convicted felons retaining jobs and mm -hmm. the turnover rate is ridiculous but the industry that i'm in the service industry that seems to be the industry where we'll just take you you know what i right. mean um which is great um so especially for the way that i kind of you know made my way into the service industry i was a high school math and science teacher and then you know detroit public schools that whole situation school got closed and i had my second baby on the way so it was like what do you do <laughs> you know what i mean so um so anyway yeah I, it's 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 one of those things where like i wanted to i was in i was thank god i was in good positions where i moved out to atlanta the big ti chef at his restaurant skills 925 um that restaurant closed and because i kept that relationship open um i ended up getting introduced to candy Burst and that uh that whole family unit so when she opened up old lady gang i was the first kitchen manager and chef at old lady gang um oh wow yeah i was yeah, just so, out there this weekend yeah, yeah. and we passed by there and um my cousin points it out because i've never watched um i'm not uh that much into like i don't really watch tv i don't have cable i canceled cable years ago yeah, I, because i, I watch yeah. okay heard you so i okay because i'm thinking like oh i'm, I'm not a miss like you know content okay cool neither am I. cool nope. so interesting go ahead old lady game. So, go continue um so yeah then it, it became one of those things where it's like okay i was kind of outgrowing where i was and um i ended up taking a corporate job and the corporate job was as you can expect you know, people think Atlanta and it's, it's so super, super black, but Atlanta's Georgia. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. You, you go 15 minutes the wrong way on the freeway, right? Yeah. So I'm working these corporate jobs and it's a lot of, a lot of billies, a lot of uh, non-brown people. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? And uh, that was a problem for me because I was seeing you know, as you matriculate through the kitchen, like I got, my, I got my degree in biology, right? I didn't, I didn't go to culinary school, so I did an apprenticeship okay. as a, I did an apprenticeship as a grown man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a whole different after, type of work. Yeah, yeah. After undergrad, after trying to play ball for a few years, after being a teacher, it's like ah, now I'm at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. I started off in the dish tank. You know what I mean? Okay. And actually. Uh, the owner of the shop that you came to, The Roost, is uh, one of the guys that did my apprenticeship with one of my mentors. And he kind of, you know, not not kind of, he actually, you know, helped pro propel me, you know, in the industry. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, I matriculated, like I said, dish tank pantry, kind of making my way up. But then I noticed as you move into fine dining and you get into corporate work, there's no black chefs. There's black line cooks. There's black dish tank guys there's black porters maintenance guys there's no black chefs right like white coat i'm in charge of the kitchen um so i got i ended up getting a couple uh, a couple black guys hiring a couple black guys at this spot and they had both at which um, spot at old lady gang uh, oh no at the, at the corporate place, the corporate place. Old lady gang. yeah okay um i ended up hiring two two brothers um who were actually in the halfway house mm-hmm and you know, of course, I hired them against the recommendation of the other staff, <laughs> but ended up being the best thing, right? These wow. guys, they're in a halfway house. They just got out. They're trying to get cleaned up. They need their money. They're going to show up to work. Yep. Boom. Right. Um, and then you know, having certain issues of my own, like my, you know, I graduated from Butler in Indianapolis private school, 
but I didn't get to walk across the stage. I I was I was on on tri- my I was on trial while I was supposed to be walking across the God stage. God damn. Yeah. So the suit that I was supposed to wear to graduation, I wore to court. Like. <laughs> Shit. So you know I I you know and then. And still got to pay those student loans. Goddamn. Oh, well, no. See, I, I, I played ball, so thank God. Thank Ooh. God I didn't have to, you know. <laughs> you fucking won. Goddamn. <laughs> and with a science degree. Yeah, so, so you know, here's the thing. I had I had the fucking ball. I'm from Southwest Detroit. You went there, right? Mm-hmm. I'm from I'm from Southwest. <laughs> I had to take every advantage. Like, I got, I went to school. I was like, all right, shit. The ball don't work out. Like, something's going <laughs> <work> out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and then, you know, and then after... After, you know, another point in my adult life, I called a pistol charge. So I had had enough experience, you know, in the court system. I, you know, as a, you know, as one of my friends would say, I'm the dummy that that waited until after I got a degree to go to jail. Like what? <laughs> had a whole degree and two babies. It was like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that, but that experience, you know, it, 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 it gave me something. So. Um, you know, like I said, I'm in Atlanta. I hired these two guys. They're in halfway houses trying to get cleaned up. And I hired a couple more from the same halfway house. Mm-hmm. Then it was like, wait a second. Now, the, all the guys that are my best workers who are staying here the longest, there's no turnover. Like these are, and they were all, they all had, you know, felony drug convictions. Right. Um, and, you know, at one point uh, before expungement and, you know, paying money to the state, I had a felony, you know, drug conviction. So um, they didn't have the luxury of having the degree to right. say, you see you what I'm saying? Yeah, um, that you're savable so, or that you're worth exactly. someone paying attention to or investing in. Exactly. You know what I mean? So I ran. I remember I, um, I got in a personal chef gig uh, with a realtor who was trying to sell one of these big houses and was doing a dinner party or whatever. And I brought the guys with me because I didn't have anybody else to bring with me, you know, because who else? <laughs> right. So I took, the, I took the guys from the restaurant that I was working at, took them with me and we rocked the event. I'm talking, I mean, it was the way it came off and the compliments that we got. It was like, no, we have to do something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, like, again, I'm from Southwest Detroit. So when it comes to like naming something and I'm, I got a felony drug conviction. There's four guys. So it's like, well, corner boy is what it is. You know what I mean? So, so it, it, works. Was, it was, you know what I mean? It worked. So it was, I it was, was immediately never, intrigued. <laughs> it, it, and that's, and that's, it was, it was never intended to be pop up, never intended to be food truck. It was really like, all right, I'm just trying to help some brothers make some money, get out the halfway house, stay out of jail, feel good about what I'm doing, employ some people that look like me. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that's, that's all it was intended to be. Because also people want to work with people that look like them. Like I abs- work in a white ass industry, regular work. I'd absolutely. rather work with more people that work with me. I always prefer when my crew for the day or for whatever, you know, position that I'm on at that time is niggas I fuck with. Absolutely. absolutely. And here's the thing. I'm going I'm to I'm take it a step further. Sometimes it don't even have to be niggas I fuck with. It just has to be niggas. Yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> I'll tell you on that because, one. Because here's the thing. The niggas that you don't fuck with mm-hmm. or the niggas that don't fuck with you, y'all know how to coexist in a space where you have to, yep. right? We all trying you know to get this saying? check. That's it. That, that's fuck it. Fuck your feelings. It ain't about but ego. I'm just here to get the, we ain't here, here to, to be bags. friends. Yeah. Right, let's make this I'm not, simple. I'm not, I'm not going to give you the attitude when you ask me for something. I'm not going to. You already know I don't fuck with you. 
Right. But because because you're a nigga, you understand I got other shit going on too. Yeah. And you know, they and you know they don't fuck with me even more. So we gonna, <laughs> So you know, it's just it's just one of those things. And then like I said, with the industry, this the industry that I'm in, like and I keep saying that I'm in when I'm talking to people that aren't in the industry, like it's not every industry, but it's white men mm-hmm. male dominated. You know, and then kitchen culture is traditionally toxic. Okay. Right. You know what I mean? There's a lot of down talking and bad mouthing and there's no filtering and blah, 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 which is cool. But that mm, enough. Nah, of that, nah. You get what nah, I'm saying? I already see where we going with this. I already you see where saying? we going. Yep. So, so I had to I like, mean. it got, it got to a point where it's like, no, I'm in this industry. This is what I do. Like I always, you know, I used to cook for my frat brothers or teammates and, you know, or the girls in college or whatever, just to, mm-hmm. you know, so I always enjoyed it. My granddad was a chef. So I knew a little bit, blah, blah, blah. But once I got immersed into it, it was like, no, okay. Same way out, same route I went with the teaching. Like I got to do something that actually means some shit or I'm going to get, I'm going to be miserable doing it. Yep. You know what I mean? Like I'm a, I'm a human connection motherfucker. I'm, I, I, I have to be, I have to feel like I'm pouring into somebody, even if, even if that might be a selfish thing. I mean, that might be some type of complex that I got to work out on the back end, mm. right? I hope but at not. At the end of the day, I, I see, I feel you. I, you know so what I'm I hope saying? It's not a complex because I get it. Like, if it's, go ahead. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's like I have to, whatever I'm doing, I have to feel like it's actually, like it matters to somebody other than me. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I mean, so for example, um, I've shared one called Lagahu, which I actually found out is also present. The original story that I shared on the podcast was from Trinidad and Tobago. So okay. one of the islands in the Caribbean. And that creature who's a werewolf, who basically um, might be an obeyo man or like a normal person in the neighborhood. And what he has is a coffin a change change to him at night and it seems what well, the background is that he sold his soul to the devil to be able to commit crime without getting caught oh so, yep so his cross to bear his punishment is having these coffins just dragged behind him all night so he doesn't he doesn't know peace basically he's at he's, he's asleep but what i am um, discovered like whilst researching for this podcast is that he's also present in Louisiana huh like in your like in the south um folklore but he's called Rougarou I don't know okay I've heard of Rougarou yeah I've absolutely heard of Rougarou that was another supernatural one (laughs) like amazing yeah like he's a werewolf like you know he he haunts the bayous the swamps of southeast Louisiana um there's a spell as well that of the Rougarou at last about 101 days. And I just thought, oh, like, I just, that's what I love about um, the folklore, which like you said um, before, it's everywhere and it moves from different places. So the fact that it came from Trinidad, Tobago, but mm-hmm. ended up in the USA with different names. Um, this isn't the first time it's happened. There's been other occasions where I've said about this, story about this person and then someone says oh yeah we have that in Tanzania too and we have that but we also somehow have it in Jamaica as well and I think that is what spins me about doing this podcast is that oh this this shit is everywhere 
yeah <laughs> this is in yeah. different areas like this isn't just one like one particular region like you was you were saying before there are some that are definitely fixed in regions and I actually did have trouble and I had to reach out and still was, it was quite difficult finding black folklore from the northern states a lot of their folklore tends to be like just like white or native I wonder mm-hmm. why that is I know a lot of people there was a great migration that happened where a lot of southerners moved to the north but I think I think because was there not like an establishment of black people in the north that it's quite difficult to find northern black mythology okay so um first of all what popped up for me was so I was writing down Ruguru and it fucking auto-corrected for me so it or even Apple acknowledges Ruguru is a motherfucking thing. So it's spelled so that you too can Google R O U G A, because I can't see R O U G A R U U. Put that in your Googles. And there's an entire wiki page that there is quite the amount of information, and it goes, um, the Rougarou, according to Wikipedia, the uh, Rougarou is a legendary creature in French communities like, um, oh yeah, I'd have to open that up. Uh, oh, here we go. French communities linked to traditional concepts of the werewolf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's saying, what is the Rougarou in Louisiana? What is the Rougarou in New Orleans? How do you become a Rougarou? What does mm-hmm. Rougarou mean in French? History of the Rougarou, Louisiana's werewolf, Rougarou, Rougarou, it's one of those tongue twisters, y'all. Bear with me. Rougarou, (laughs) monster (laughs) wiki fandom. Like, it's a motherfucking thing. There's an A&E piece from 2012, Save the Swamp, but beware the Rougarou, that not, those two things aren't the same. That's not the piece from 2012, like. Yeah, I mean, the original word, because it comes from the French word, Lougarou, and again, I'm not French, I've got a French friend who would probably like be miles for this but yes it comes from the french loop which means werewolf so okay. these sort of remixes of this original word you have lagao which is what it's called in trinidad and tobago then you have rougarou which is in louisiana and it's just yeah that really fascinates me and it's very interesting because um you actually hear this werewolf before you see it because you hear the chains it's dragging Ooh. So you're, if you're in the forest, if you're in the swamp, in the bayous, um, yeah, if you hear these chains first, you just... You know you that's know, what it is. You just, oh, goodness, yeah. And it's interesting because the um, in order to actually see him properly, you have to put the mucus of a dog's eye into your own eye and look through your keyhole at midnight. That's a lot of steps. What if you're already in the bayou? You know what I mean? What if I'm outside? Where do I get a keyhole? Oh my God. But that's kind of like in Supernatural, in order for them to see hellhounds, they have to basically bless a pair of glasses. You put on a pair of glasses, you pour like holy oil on them or some shit Mm. like that. And that's what allows you to see a hellhound. So there's even like steps to that. And what's, so partial step back, cryptozoology is an actual thing. It is the study Mm -hmm. of kind of mythological and unknown creatures, if you will. 
And cryptozoologists would look into things like the Loch Ness Monster, uh, Mm -hmm. Bigfoot. And what is really cool about cryptozoology is that it seems very fantastical and just like it's just a bunch of crazy white folks just looking for just stupidness. However, it also kind of relates itself back to undiscovered species. Consider the Mm -hmm. world as the fucking world, right? Just because we don't know about something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. There are so much of our oceans that just have not been explored. There's so Mm -hmm. much of the world, the global planet as itself, Mother Earth, that we as people do not have um, a grasp on. We're still finding new species. So if you really want to think about it, the really freaky, scary part about it is, is that a lot of things that we think of as mythological, as fairy tale, and as completely make-believe could possibly, and the point of cryptozoology is to kind of, could possibly be real. It's just that we don't know about it. And a lot of people take the shit serious. You do have your quacks and your ones that maybe are a little bit off balance. But if you do the research and you do the studying and you look at what different uh, people experiences it it's it's also fascinating to me that mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of stuff in the world is just not explained we don't fucking know so as crazy mm-hmm. as some of these stories sound if you think about the way communities and cultures use storytelling as mm-hmm. cautionary fables right like Aesop's fables um I'm yes. familiar shout out to mom uh, a lot of different African fables like Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters, Cowtail Switch, Why Mosquitoes Buzz in uh, People's Ears, uh, Nancy the Spider. There are a ton mm. of different stories that while they seem like things you just tell kids to keep them in line or while you just tell people to scare them or to keep them away from people, a lot of times they have a basis in an actual factual um, occurrence or... Um, not occurrence or like a, a warning or like cautionary tale to keep people safe. And I know that you had mentioned it on one of your episodes about mosquitoes, how there was like, um, I don't remember which one it was, but the mosquito that shift changes, like it's a, it's a creature yeah. that shows up as its main form or one of the forms it'll take is a mosquito and mm, it'll come ads, in your house. Yeah. It's called it, answer A D Z E as a shape-shifting fly yeah okay and it was like a way to caution people around the dangers possibly of malaria like beware of mosquitoes because gang gang they could possibly they could possibly fucking kill you you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like it's not always just a scary story a lot of it has a an actual reason for Mm -hmm. being communicated to people it's just that a lot of times a story or a superstition is better tolerated. And also it kind of takes like a, um, if you think about how a lot of African spirituality had to be hidden, you can see why a lot of things may have been told in the form of a story as to make it so that it could be shared whilst not being, um, something to be punished for. It's mm. kind of like saying, all right, if you mix this, mix that and do this, this is a spell or a potion or some type mm-hmm. of magic that you can do. If you were a, a slave, if you were an enslaved person, that is not exactly something that you could openly say and not be punished for perhaps. But if you told mm-hmm. it as a story, it might just kind of get brushed off as a fucking story. Yeah. Like many of us do. And a superstition, like don't put, don't sweep your feet 
but it has ties to something else. I don't mm-hmm. particularly know what that one would be, but that was the one that came to mind. So I, it's just like, it's an automatic rabbit hole for me. And I love a good fucking rabbit hole because my mm-hmm. mind lives in rabbit holes. So this is something that I am like, <sighs> information. And oh, it's just, sure. yeah. So what yes. else? Go ahead. I was going to say, it's good you mentioned it. I mean, I've spoken about it before on the podcast, the whole um term called moral vitalism which is um the definition is a tendency to view good and evil as actual forces that exist and can influence people and events so you know you mentioned the ads um and the link to malaria and dangers of mosquitoes making sure you keep your nets up at night making sure you know you know someone has been attacked by the ads because they have certain symptoms which is you know fatigue fever um they just seem dead it also affects the families around again this is just as I have a healthcare background and you know they, they don't use the word symptoms and they don't use the word um yeah. contagious you know but again because there wasn't this vernacular that was used um in the language not because they weren't smart or anything or because you're in educating your, your neighbors and you don't have the jargon to say these are the symptoms have a look these are the this is the contagious period you know that you hear now with covid it's very much like if you have this neighbor had so and so and so and it affected their family it was this shape-shifting firefly and i find it amazing and there's other examples as well for example um the truro um who i believe is from jamaica who is um a spirit who haunts babies and causes them to die sorry trigger warning um oh, like said yeah essentially you know sudden infant death syndrome essentially yeah. that and that was the ex- explanation for that you know she lost her baby so then yeah. she would then go around looking for hers and then she would wail in the night and that was since before it was called since because it these things happened before yeah the pathology came mm-hmm. to be before a name came to be so it is definitely interesting that we have these stories that are still told and that are, have been written down to explain like certain illnesses. I love yeah. it. I love it for real. I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode. As a reminder, don't forget that I've included everybody's uh, website, their socials, and the link to the episode that they recorded for Travel and Shit. So their Travel and Shit episode, as well as contact links for them, their website and all that jazz. It's going to be on travelandshitpodcast.com. Just go to episodes and go to episode 218. This way you can um, hit them up, show them some love, let them know that you saw them on the podcast or heard them on the podcast, that you enjoyed what they had to say. And if you have any questions, reach out. Let them know that they have inspired something or they have, you know, encouraged you to go do and grow. And as a reminder, not just at the end of every episode, at the end of every trip, at the end of every year, at the end of every day, just remember to remind yourself that travel is so much more than vacation. If you allow it, it can absolutely enrich you in ways that you never saw possible. I can't wait to share more with you guys throughout the new year. And I... I'm just so grateful that you guys have been with me for this year, the years before, and I'm looking forward to more years to come. Be safe, 
Enjoy your families, and I'll see y'all next year. Bye.